Acts chapter 24. Living with a good conscience. It says, After five days, Ananias the high priest descended with the elders and with certain, a certain orator named Tertullius, who informed the governor against Paul. When they called him forth, Tertullius began to accuse him, saying, Seeing that by thee we enjoy great quietness, and very worthy deeds are done in this nation by thy providence, we accept it always, and in most, almost places most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. He says, Notwithstanding that I be not further tedious unto thee, I pray thee that thou wouldst hear of thy clemency a few words. For we have found this man a pestilent fellow, speaking of Paul, a mover of sedition among all the Jews throughout all the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes, who also hath gone about to profane the temple. Look how they accused Paul. Paul never profaned the temple. It says, Whom we took, and would have judged according to our law, but the chief captain Lysias came, came upon us, and with great violence took him away out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come unto thee, by examining of, of whom thou thyself might make knowledge of all these things, whereof we accused him. And the Jews also assented, saying that these things were so. Then Paul, after the governor had beckoned unto him to speak, answered, Forasmuch as I know that thou hast been of my, many years a judge in this nation, I do more cheerfully answer thee myself. Because that thou mayest understand that there are yet but twelve days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship. And they neither found me in the temple disputing with any man, neither raising up the people, in the syn neither in the synagogues nor in the city. Neither can they prove the things wherewith they now accuse me. But this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I God, of my, the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets." And have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and of the unjust. And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience, void of offense toward God and toward men. Paul says he has hope. Hope of the resurrection. And then he says, hope that Jesus is coming back. He says both of the just and of the unjust that one day we're all going to appear before God. And he says, herein do I exercise myself because knowing that Jesus is coming again. He says, I do exercise myself to always have, it says, to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Paul had a goal. Paul had a motto. Paul had a mission. He wanted to have a clear conscience, whatever he did, wherever he went. A clear conscience. The conscience is a beautiful thing, and it's a gift from God. Look back, if you would, in chapter 23, in verse 1. Paul describes this same, he says the exact same word, standing before the Sanhedrin. And Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in, what does he say? All good conscience before who? God. God. Until this day. Paul, I thought you persecuted the church. Paul, I thought you did all these terrible things. He says, you know what? When I came and found Christ at the road to Damascus, I repented. I put my faith in Christ. And he says, I've lived in good conscience before God until this day. He says, there's nothing in my life that you can look at and say, I didn't ask God about that thing. There's nothing in my life that hasn't been examined, he says, by the very word of God. Living in good conscience. 
I submit to us this morning, the effective life is built around a clear conscience. A clear conscience is a gift from God. You know why our world, we can't get anything done? A bunch of cloudy conscience people are leading this world. A bunch of cloudy conscience people who've accepted bribes and is trying to impress people instead of trying to please God. Uh, look, we can't live that way. Paul said, you know what, I'm about ready to stand trial. He's about ready to die for his faith. And he says, I've lived in how? Good conscience before God and before men. Maybe said of us, if we were to die today, that we might be able to say, you know what, I have a good conscience before God and before men. That there is a clear conscience, that it is, there is, there's transparency in the life before God, that God who sees everything, by the way, he, he sees the doors that we close. Sometimes we have the little door we like to keep shut. We say, you know what, I don't want anybody to know about this one part of my life. I don't want anybody to find out about it. And God says, I already knew about it before you were ever born. I knew it was going to happen. He says, I knew about that room right there. And God knows and we put a padlock on the door and don't let anybody come in there. We don't want anybody to find out about it. But God says, you know what, I know about it. And so you say, does that mean we need to dig it all out? No, it's just we need to recognize God knows, God sees, and when we live with a pure, a pure conscience, Paul, I'm sure, lived with guilt in some ways because he was reminded of the fact that he had killed Christians. He was reminded of the fact that he had dragged their children and their, their wives out and they had murdered people. He was reminded of the fact that he had led all these things against the church. And I'm sure when he went and preached in the church, he was visibly thinking of how he had persecuted the church. But yet he didn't focus on that. The skeleton was in the closet, my friend, but it was out before the eyes of God. He had got it cleaned up. He was there when Stephen was dying. Stephen was stoned to death. The rocks were being thrown at Stephen. And Paul's there consenting to Stephen's death. They threw all their garments at his feet as they threw rocks at the man of God who had lived pure before God. And Paul now, a converted person preaching and now standing in his last days before he is going to die, before he is going to uh, die for his faith, he stands before Felix and he says, I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense. Look, God uses you, I believe, and uses uh, each of us to the extent that we allow our conscience to be pure. Uh, a defiled conscience reveals itself in time. Uh, maybe you've been an employer and you've hired people to work for you and you soon figure out the reason they came to work for you was not the, really to benefit the company, not to help, not to be a good worker. Maybe they had some other reason that they were there for. Maybe they were just there for the benefits. Uh, maybe they were just there uh, for attention. And Paul realized that they, other people were doing things for the wrong motive. Paul says, you know what, I have a clear conscience it has been said that the conscience is a window which lets light into the soul. Your conscience is the window. My conscience is the window that lets light into our soul. And God's word is light. His word is understanding. And when we allow God's word to come in, it illuminates every dark corner in our life. And uh, it, it brings things to the light. We ought to be around the preaching of God's word and God begins to show things to us. Even like you'll be hearing the preaching of God's word. In, a few, in the last few weeks, several folks have come to me, and we have not preached on baptism, but several people have come to me and said, Pastor, I want to get baptized. Didn't preach a sermon on baptism, didn't barely even mention it from the pulpit. There was no big invitation, come forward and get baptized. Yet, 
Several people came to me, hey, you know what? I need, to get, I need to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. I need to get this settled. I need to start working on this in my life. Why? That's God moving. And see, God speaks to your conscience. And when God speaks to our conscience, we listen to him. And we must follow him. Living with a good conscience. It's when we open up the window and say, Lord, let your light come in. Let your word come into my life. We live in a world of artificial light. I was fixing up a house one time and... I found this light bulb in the closet. Now, I thought it was a street light. Out here, we have a big, big street light. But I realized when I looked at that package, they were growing something they probably weren't supposed to be growing. Because I'd never seen a light quite like that. And it was in a closet. It was all sealed up. And there was a light bulb in there. And it was pretty clear that light bulb was not exactly for growing plants for outside. Probably for growing things they should not have been ingesting in their system. And it was very clear that it had been done in a dark place. I mean, there was dark black plastic all around in that room. And yet they had this little light in there to illuminate. Artificial light to grow plants. And that's what the light bulb said on it. I thought I was going to be able to use it for the church parking lot light bulbs. That's what it looked like. But no, 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 no. Um, I won't be using that unless we plan to start the garden early with artificial light. All right? Um, but living with a good conscience. It's not artificial light, it's God's light from his word. First this morning as we look into this, we see the conscience defined. The conscience defined. It is, is indeed this light that allows God's word to shine into our hearts. Everybody has a conscience. And the Bible describes several different types of consciences. It describes a good conscience. Verse 16, he says... He says, I have, herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and man. And back in chapter uh, 23 and verse 1, he says, I have lived in good conscience unto this day. So there is a good conscience. It's a conscience that's pure before God. Look, if you would, with me in Titus chapter 2. Titus. Titus and chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 describes in verse 11 this. Titus 2 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and great Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. He speaks of this conscience that God is teaching us to deny certain things and to follow certain things so that our conscience might be, maintain itself as a good conscience. Look, if you would, in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians and chapter 1 and verse 12. 2 Corinthians and chapter 1 in verse 12, Paul speaks and he says, For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you word. He says, our rejoicing. Why are we so happy, Paul says. He says, we're happy because we have a conscience, the testimony 
of our conscience that we did it with simplicity. You know the danger we can have as a church in this modern age is that we can get overcomplicated with what God made simple. We can make things so overcomplicated and, and we, have, we really live just like if you walk down to some of these places around here, there's still older businesses, older establishments uh, that do things in more of a uh, simple manner. And I like walking into older hardware stores, older establishments, uh, places that do things still in a simple manner. We have a great, a great pressure today against the church that we do everything as the machine age does things. Commercialize everything. Make everything like everybody else. And we get the model sometimes from the world instead of from the word of God. There is nowhere in the Bible that it says you have to have a cool video program in order to be a successful church. In heaven, there will be no video program. I'm sorry. It's going to be full 3D <laughs> because God made it that way. You'll be able to see things you've never seen. All right? But there's not going to be a video programming in heaven. Uh, they're not going to have a television screen in every room. I'm sorry to disappoint. And I'm sorry there's not going to be any sports there or video games. Um, there'll be nothing that defiles there. Okay? There'll be nothing. Uh, there won't be hunting because we won't be killing those animals, even though I really do enjoy uh, these things, right? But there's not going to be these types of things in heaven. Um, and so in heaven, it's going to be a different type of place. And we live in this world sometimes focused on the temporal. And Paul describes our conscience, the testimony of our conscience, our joy, our rejoicing is what? That we have a conscience that is simple with godly sincerity. He says we're sincere and we're right about it. We're going to be true about it. We're not going to be all confused. We sometimes try to overcomplicate what God made very simple, a good conscience. God doesn't care all of the great accolades you may have, all the great degrees after one's name, all the great uh, trophies that one may have. God cares about a good conscience. And Paul says he had a good conscience. Let's look, if you would, in Titus. We were just there a few moments ago in Titus. But look in Titus chapter 1, 15. We see a different type of conscience. There's the conscience defined. There's a good conscience, but there's also another type of conscience, a defiled conscience. Titus 1 in verse 15. It describes a different type of conscience. The defiled conscience. Unto the pure all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled, and he says, unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and their, look what he says, conscience is defiled. He describes a conscience that's been defiled. You ever wonder why when you're talking maybe with somebody that you love and care about very much, uh, it seems like there is no longer a moral sense of right and wrong. You talk about it, and there seems to be, you talk about various things, and they just describe uh, cheating. They describe doing things they should never do as if they were morally right. It's like the kid who gets away with cheating at school, gets away with doing other kids' homework. Sometimes kids even get paid to do these things. And yet, this, the conscience becomes seared through the process. And, and I remember teaching in Christian school, that would happen. The kids, one of the kids would be, they would be cheating, they'd be doing stuff, and all of a sudden, you know what, they became so brazen, so brazen about their attitude. Why? Because the conscience had got defiled, and the conscience was now uh, not pure. It was not clear. 
But I'll tell you, when a, a child has a pure conscience, you could see it was all over the face. And there was no hiding. The face, by the way, reveals a lot of what's going on in our life. Our, our face reveals it. So the conscience defiled. We also see in this, this conscience, we see an evil conscience. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. Another type of conscience we see in the Bible. An evil one. Tell you, I don't know about you, I do not want to have a conscience that's defiled or evil. We live in a world filled with people who have these types of consciences. And the church today, often these things creep into the church. He says... Hebrews 10, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Notice each time he speaks of the conscience, he speaks of faith. He speaks of uh, us having faith. He talks about unbelief hindering our conscience. He talks about a true heart. These things all flow together. He says, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure waters. He's saying, you know what? Let's let the conscience be clean. Let's let the conscience be pure. So there's an evil conscience he describes in this verse. He says it's been cleansed from being an evil conscience. So our conscience can become evil. But yet by the grace of God it can be cleansed. The conscience defined. There's a good one. There's a defiled one. There's an evil one. There's also a seared conscience. And the Bible speaks of them having a conscience seared with a hot iron. When you have seared meat... It's seared. It's not going back to freshening. It's not going back to uh, something that will move in the same way. When a cow has been branded, that skin right there is seared and it's marked permanently. And so when our conscience becomes burned, it becomes calloused, it becomes hardened, now it can no longer receive truth in the same way. The conscience defined. It's, remember, it's a light that allows, uh, it's, it's a window that allows light into the soul. Secondly, this morning, the conscience developed. Paul speaks of this in the passage back in Acts. He says, I exercise myself. You know who's responsible for your exercise habits? You. Me. When it comes to our spiritual walk with God, you might say, man, I'm going to start reading the Bible every day. I want to read God's word. I want to meditate. I'm going to start the devotional book every day. It's a New Year's resolution. We're going to do it. But you know how hard it is to do? It comes really hard because it's work. You read the Bible consistently. Maybe you're, maybe you're somebody who has read your Bible consistently every day for the last five years. Last ten years. Last twenty years. Maybe you've done that. That's awesome. But I will tell you the devil will tempt you tomorrow just like he tempts me to stop it. He's going to tempt you to slow it down. He's going to bring something else. And look, it's an exercise. It's an exercise. It's a decision. And look, there were two or three days that have happened in the last month, uh, maybe more than that, where I was like, you know what? I really want to go hunting this morning. I got up early enough to go hunting. I was up an hour and a half before sunrise. But you know what? time I got in the Word, and I was like, I need to get out in the woods an hour before sunrise. And the time I get done with the Word and being in the Word, and now it's time to make some breakfast. And, you know, I'm like, you know, if I'm going to preach to others about it, amen, you've got to do it yourself consistently. 
which I do, but it, it, it's, you sit in there in the morning and look, it's never an option of do I go hunting or do I read the Bible. It's I read the Bible first before I go hunting. So if I want to go hunting, I didn't got to wake up earlier, okay? And so you're up an hour and a half. You're up two hours before sunrise, and still it's not enough time uh, to be able to get out there and get in the woods an hour before uh, sunrise. And yet sometimes I drag in there, and look, it happened uh, once this week. Man, there was a beautiful buck that came in. If I would have been there and been ready on time, I would have been prepared. I wouldn't have missed. And the arrow wouldn't have got stuck in the ground. But you know what? There was something else that was more important that happened. See, you've got to make a priority. You've got to exercise yourself to continue to do it. He says, I exercise myself. He's literally being formed. And we say, well, you know what? God's just going to, uh, one day I'm just going to wake up and he's going to impress me how I'm supposed to live. All of a sudden, one day I'll start reading my Bible. One day I'll start going to church. One day I'll start, no, no, no. Exercise myself. He says, herein I exercise myself. Brother John worked at the gym and I remember him telling me at the gym, everybody would join gym membership. And New Year's resolution, those memberships flowed in. Remember that <laughs> five years ago at the one place he was working? And I tell you, the memberships were flowing right in. And all these people got on automatic credit card payments every month. And you know what happened after about, I don't know, a month or two? Some of them people hadn't been in there for eight months, nine months. Every month their credit card got pinged. They didn't go back. They forgot all about it. It was no longer important. Why? Because it was a New Year's resolution with no commitment. And look, that is just a simple, temporary thing. Bodily exercise, the Bible says, profits very little. But godliness profiteth much. So look, you say, are you saying, Pastor, we need to all go to gym? No, I've never had a gym membership. I don't care about gym membership, okay? Uh, I think it's a scam, okay? They never had a gym in the Bible, okay? They just went out and worked in the fields. So uh, that's, that's my philosophy on the matter. But that's just my opinion now. I should have kept it myself, okay? Um, but anyways, um, the conscience developed. There's some exercise happening there. Uh, there's some decision. He's literally forming himself. As you would see a wood sculptor, we go and we see the guy, the chainsaw guy over there by Six Flags, and he's making all these sculptures, and he's making all these things to sell, and he has them up. They're, they're beautiful, eagle, a bear, all these beautiful things that he has created. How? Because he exercised himself. See me chainsaw carving? Uh, maybe one day, okay? But no, I'm just trying to cut down the tree straight, all right? Um, this guy's an expert at it. Why? Because he's disciplined himself and he's exercised himself to it. And he knows exactly how to do it. That's what God's saying. You're forming in your life habits. And what we allow into our life forms habits. And he says a good conscience is formed by good habits. An evil conscience is formed by evil habits. When we pray first every day, when we choose to put it first every day, uh, we live above reproach every time we choose to. And uh, look, people often say, Pastor, how am I going to start reading the Bible every day? And how am I going to start doing it? I say, well, you know what? Best time to do it is first, time the first thing of the day. That just doesn't work for me, okay? And usually, you know what? If that doesn't work for you, it will usually wind up being at 1145. It'll be at 1 a.m. when you finally get around to it. And you know what? That develops a habit, okay? Um, now, if it's consistent at that time of the day, that's awesome. But usually it never becomes consistent at that time of the day for an individual. Once we put it as the leftovers, it stays the leftovers, okay? There's a reason why the leftovers stay in your refrigerator, okay? Because you want 
something new. You look at the leftovers and you say, huh, nothing really appeases me today. I don't really like any of that. Maybe you're one that does eat the leftovers. But often, look, my friend, if we leave God the leftovers, um, there's not much left over. You never know, cook. You never know how much food's going to be left over. Just like next Sunday, we've got Thanksgiving dinner right here. And you're cooking food and we're preparing food for this. And you don't know how much is going to be left over yet, do you? I don't know how much turkey is going to be left over. I don't know how much potatoes are going to be left over. I have no idea how much sweet potato casserole is going to be left over. But I sure hope, I sure hope there's some left over. Um, okay? Sweet potato casserole is amazing. They're going to have it in heaven. And my wife disagrees with me about that. And Gwen, they won't eat it. But um, pray for them to get right with God before Sunday. <laughs> but look, they've developed a habit. They don't like it. But you develop a habit to like certain things, and you choose what you're going to like. You choose, and I choose. And exercise requires a goal. What's the goal? Let's please the Lord. Let's please the Lord. Paul says, I exercise myself. Here and I exercise myself, Felix. He's standing on trial for his life. He's going to die for his faith, and he knows it. And he's standing there in a trial in which he's going to lose. He can't hire a better lawyer. He can't get somebody. He can't start a GoFundMe page to raise money so that he can pay for a better lawyer. He is going to die for his faith. Yet he says, here and I exercise myself to have a conscience void of offense. He says, you know what? I have developed this thing. Now, Paul's not being proud about it. He's just saying, look, there's some exercise that's happened, Felix. There's some exercise that's happened. Exercise requires discipline. To exercise involves striving with labor pains. Look in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 27. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 27. Herein, Paul says, I exercise myself to have a conscience, void of offense. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27. We're looking at the scripture today, seeing what God's word says about this conscience being developed. He says, I keep my under my body and bring it into, look at what he says, subjection. Lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. People God uses are people that learn to submit. The people that God uses are the people that learn to submit. God doesn't bless those who can't submit, who can't follow. Paul says, I bring my body into subjection. There are days where my body does not want to cooperate, right? Along with yours, right? Our bodies don't want to always do you know, uh, we had a great time picking up trash yesterday. Y'all did wonderful. And, you know, sometimes your body may not want to do everything you are doing, okay? But exercising ourselves to godliness involves, really, we are developing a muscle. And as the muscles get stronger, we get more strength. We, it becomes easier because you realize you push through the pain and there's a beautiful result that happens on the end. Oftentimes, we've never pushed through the pain. And so we don't get to enjoy the glory on the other side. It's just so hard to get up and read my Bible. What's going to be harder is when you experience a trial and you don't have the word in your life. And you don't have any foundation and don't have any roots. That's going to be far harder than if we would have built the foundation. The little bit of discipline every day. You say, how much time does it take to actually get in the Word and read through the entire Bible every day? I have found about 10 minutes a day in the Word. Just 10 minutes. 
will complete reading through the Bible in a year. If, you're, if you develop your um, aptitude in reading, uh, just about 10 minutes. And then additional time like that, look, the last three or four months, it's like, okay, just read that book of the Bible over and over again because I want to finish the Bible Revelation. I want to finish it at the end of December. Okay, that's my goal. And so I am in, right now Jude was where I was supposed to be today. But I read 1 John, the entire book again this morning. Why? Because I've read it like four times this week. I just like the book of 1 John. I did that with Peter. Because I, I finished too quickly, so now I'm trying to slow myself down. I've been doing that all year. Okay? I'll read, read along, and then you just slow yourself down. And so it takes about ten minutes if you focus, and you can sit there and read. And then, look, the rest of it's just fun. After about five, ten minutes, I've read the part I'm going to read for the day in terms of new content. This is to read through the Bible in a year. And then the rest of it is just fun. Then you can just enjoy. And if you have more time that day, that's great. If you don't, you are going to complete the goal if you spend about ten minutes on it each day. It only takes 80 hours to read through the entire Bible. But yet, oftentimes, we can become discouraged with a simple goal. So the conscience is developed over time. Uh, We develop the conscience. It requires a goal. It requires discipline. And Paul talks about he beats his body into subjection. Uh, That's not very popular today. But the people that you love and in history that you read about, people of character, are people who developed their conscience. And God wants us to develop our conscience. The reason we're reading the books that Paul wrote the reason Paul wrote the majority of the epistles in the New Testament is because he exercised his conscience. If he wouldn't have done that, he wouldn't have written it down because God wouldn't have used him in the way he did. So he disciplined himself, and that's how God used him. And so God uses us as we submit to him, humbling ourselves. The conscience developed. And thirdly, this morning, uh, we see the conscience displayed. The conscience displayed. He speaks in Acts 24. Here in exercise I myself, he says, to have a conscience void of offense to two people. He says, to God and then to anybody else in my life, to men. To God and toward men. He says, I want to have a conscience that's clear. A conscience that's clean toward God. How much does God see? Don't we really wish sometimes God wouldn't see everything? But you know what? He still loves you when he sees that, okay? You had a bad thought. God still loves us. Aren't you thankful for that? So his love is not changing. And Paul described his conscience displayed. It was, look, it was a good conscience. And by the way, God sees whatever's in our conscience. And men see whatever's in our life because in time, the truth, what happens? The truth comes out. In time, the truth will come out. And so when our conscience is clear and clean, God is pleased. And then he says, toward men. Toward men. He makes sure that everybody only sees a clean conscience. You say, is he trying to preserve his image? No. He's just aware of how people might perceive what he's doing for the king of kings... And he doesn't want anybody to be pulled down by his lifestyle. Like yesterday, we picked up a bunch of cans. Okay? And I have them all stored right now because we're going to take them to recycling tomorrow for missions money. Okay? But we have five bags of cans. Predominantly cans that I would never drink the substance that once was contained in them. Okay? I would never touch it. I would never drink it. 
So if you were to uh, open up the place where those cans are stored right now, you would see, wow, pastor looks like he's been drinking. I'm not worried about that because the conscience is clear. Make sense? Okay. Never touched it, never touched it, never want to touch it. All right. There's a way in which I carry them, even when I have to, when I pick them on the side of the road. I kind of carry them down like this, like it's disgusting, okay? I just want it to be very clear. I don't like this stuff, okay? Because um, it destroys homes in this community. I don't, I don't want it, anything to do with it. But you know what? It's going gonna, it's gonna to help fund missions. That's awesome, right? And so we're going to use this to help fund missions, these cans. Six cents apiece. They're going right to the recycling tomorrow. And... He says his conscience was clear. So it doesn't mean we don't have to be worried about what people think. I'm not worried right now what people think because I was picking up trash yesterday. I'm not worried about what people think because you're around, around, if you're around somebody that you know is involved in things you shouldn't be, they shouldn't be involved in. Uh, there are many times I will visit somebody and I know and I'm trying to care about folks in the community that are lost and without Christ and are unchurched. And look, I'm not worried. We don't want to be worried all because we went and spent time with a sinner that people are going to judge us. Don't worry about that. You love the sinner. Okay? You love the sinner. But you hate the sin. Jesus spent his time, the majority of time, with people that were not perfect. People that were involved in things they should have never been involved with, yet he loved them. And so you, all because you have a pure conscience doesn't mean you don't spend time around sinners, but that you do spend time around them, yet your conscience is kept clear, your conscience is kept clean. And look, it's a little bit harder to do that when you're around sinners. Because you'll hear things that you could easily repeat, and that, that you know what, if you do repeat those things, you will be forever framed, okay? And so it's, it's a different type of thing. Uh, being around uh, and keeping a clean conscience. And Paul describes, he says, I keep a clean conscience before men. He says, I want everybody to know that God is real in my life. Will your testimony lead other men to Christ? Will it lead others to Christ? You can't have a clear conscience unless you and I are living a sanctified life. Let's close with this verse, 1 Peter 3, 15. 1 Peter 3 and verse 15. 1 Peter 3.15, he says, But sanctify the Lord in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. He says, Sanctify God, be ready to always give an answer. Be ready to always give an answer. Look, when you're ready to always give an answer, look, we never know when we're going to be called upon to give an answer. There was a time this week that I was called upon to give an answer, and I was, it was a unique time. Okay? Um, look, God might put a situation in your life where you say, I don't know what to say, and God says, be prepared. Be prepared. We're not always going to be ready every time to be a witness. You might feel like you're unprepared, but doesn't every athlete, when they start out, feel unprepared? So when you're starting out and you're saying, you know what, my conscience, there's a little something in there I'm not sure about. Uh, there's a little something somebody might know. Live before God, clean and pure. And don't, don't worry about your past. You take that to the cross. We're taking that to the cross. We just give it to the Lord and we move forward. 
And we ask God by his grace, Lord, help me from now on, I want to live with a clean conscience. From now on, I want to have a pure conscience because I want the kingdom of God to be advanced. The conscience is displayed. And by the way, our life shows the world whether Jesus is real. I am reminded of a saying by one man who turned his faith from Christ. He said, I like your Jesus, but I don't like your Christians. If your Christians were more like Jesus, he said, he would have been a Christian. Let's be like Jesus. Let's display the conscience that would please God. And look, uh, the world's constantly pushing at us. They're saying Jesus would be kind. Jesus would be kind. But they haven't read the whole Bible. Because he also preached some very, very stern messages. And so Jesus was kind, but he also knew how to speak the truth. And if you look, if a parent never speaks uh, to their child, never displeases their child, never challenges their child, the child becomes uh, a rebel. And so the Bible is very clear about speaking at the right time in the right place. Living with a good conscience before God. Herein exercise I myself, Felix, he says, to have a conscience always void of offense before God and before men. May that be said of each of us in the room. May the Lord help us with this. And maybe this morning you just want to come and you want to say, you want to pray. You say, Pastor, if I come forward and pray, does that mean there's a lot in my conscience that's not right? No, no, no. It just means there might be some little thing that we think, Lord, I don't want anything to be between my soul and the Savior. And this morning, maybe you just want to come forward and you'd pray and say, Lord, help me that there might be nothing between my soul and the Savior. That we might have a clear conscience void of offense before God and man. Look, I know it's not a northern thing to always respond to an invitation, but it's a God thing. It's a God thing. I challenge you this morning, come forward and pray. Come forward and ask the Lord. Lord, help me to have a clean conscience. Maybe your conscience is completely pure, completely clean. And you just say, I want the Lord to help me to keep it clean, to keep it pure. Look, it's more of a southern thing to come forward in invitations. They say the north is a little more cold. But you know what? We don't have to be like the rest, okay? Maybe you just want to respond to the Lord this morning and make it in your heart. Make the inner in your heart decision visible on the outside. And you want to just come forward and pray and ask God to help you with that and solidify it in your heart this morning. However the Lord might lead you, let's do business with the Lord as we stand. For a moment of invitation, we're going to stand in the moment the piano is going to play. I encourage you, if the Lord spoke to you, to do business with the Lord as he leads. Father, we thank you so much for this morning and for this time to respond to you. We've heard your word. We've been challenged. May we now do business with you. We thank you for what you're going to do in our hearts today and how you're going to help us to live with a clear conscience before God and before men. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, if God spoke to you, if you want to come forward and pray, would you come and do business with God this morning? Would you respond to his Holy Spirit? Would you ask the Lord to help you, help us as a church to have a good conscience before God and before man? Would you come and would you take it to the Lord?